Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of the Glenvor Podcast with your host JJ, otherwise known as Jason, and thank you for pressing play and entering the dark depths of a lost Scottish distillery uh, situated in Inverness. So if you're new to the show, uh, thank you for listening. Please check out some of the other episodes after five seasons. There's a lot of listening, I suppose. But I try and keep these reasonably short, so for anything from 10 minutes to 30, because I think that's the limitation on uh, the Anchor platform, I use 30 minutes, which is fine. I think if you can't say something in 30 minutes, then you really are struggling. Although um, some politicians don't really say anything uh, in the course of their career. Now, during this we episode, I pick out two uh, articles from the website and talk about them. Now, looking, we've just about, we're on the tails of the website now. We've almost caught up. So uh, today we're going to do the last two ever logbook entries. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about those in a moment. Uh, thereafter, we are pretty much into the documentation collection. Uh, the first, as I record this, uh, the first article has gone up online. And as you listen to this, the second article will be out uh, round about now. So we're two articles behind in that theory. So I think after the next podcast, um, should we wait to do uh, an episode out every fortnight and do two articles or do we just keep them on a weekly basis and talk about one thing? My preference is probably just to keep them specific to one thing and that might allow me to maybe link them at the same time and, uh, you know, flesh out a little bit or talk more generally rather than what's written down on the website so that's in my mind so we'll see how it goes however uh, today we should be celebrating the distillery logbook wonderful wonderful resource uh, which takes us from 1930s Glenvor into the 1960s these last two entries are the 1960s obviously and um, close off a whole chapter uh, and leave us hanging for more information of which because of the changes in customs and excise and the Inverness station distilleries we'll probably never get uh, you know this door is closed but uh, new opportunities await with a collection but you know I just have to be thankful that we found this document for the Highland Archive Centre in Inverness and all the archivists I've spoken to over the years um, big thank you to them for allowing us to photograph the document um alan and rose you know helping bring this to life uh, particularly alan with his insights uh historical and distiller wise you know i think we've really created a companion piece uh to the book itself which you know the book is a, a treasure and should enrich our understanding of the book uh, going forward i do have a week off uh, to go up to Inverness or specifically Boner where um, family is and uh, spending perhaps a little time over at Dornock and seeing the, the brothers there but I also intend to spend an afternoon or a morning back at the archive centre. Now the, the purpose of this I don't think there's any more Glenvore. I, I did speak to Dave at the Inverness local history forum about um, the gap we have in the planning documents. So literally, I think after the late 1940s, there isn't anything else. 
which is of interest because I think we're probably missing the Saladin boxes, we're probably missing those two big warehouses that came along in the 60s. So um, he isn't aware of anyone in the planning department and certainly the planning department don't really have uh, anything pre I want to say 1993 online so we've got this gap um, and you know what I probably will do is ask one of the archivists if they have a box somewhere uh, potentially to come into the collection uh, that they have would this give us more about Telford Street so we're really looking for further planning submissions for Telford Street um, post 1947-1948 don't expect them to the, for the current day, but definitely we've got a gap of a few decades, which would be of real interest to us at the distillery, uh, particularly those last years of uh, the um, McKinley and Burney ownership. Um, yes, yeah, so watch the space as as ever, you know, banging on doors, some are slammed in your face, others, you know, throw open a whole new world of possibilities. So that one is in the fire and we'll see where it goes um but my main purpose to visit the archive in august uh, i'd love to go back through the glenvor document but it's to do the same to the glenalbin document now the glenalbin documents we actually have two books so we can actually go further back in time i think the glenalbin document from what we know of the glenvor one actually ended earlier they tend i think they ended sort of around about the second world war where um the uh Gilbert W. Peterkin, uh, a good friend, as we all know from the book, he took over responsibility for both sites during the war efforts. And I don't think that was ever really, as far as we know, repurposed thereafter. They never brought back the um, Glenalbin book specifically that we know of. There were some Glenalbin elements, as we know, in the book after that period uh, about war damage, about a fire, etc. So, uh, in effect, it became um, almost a hybrid book uh, midway through uh, the pages that we have. I would love to have the pre-1930s book. There, w- there will be one out there, whether or not. If the station didn't have it and submitted it, then it's probably lost, uh, which is unfortunate, unless it turns up. So we shall, fingers crossed, we shall uh, keep at it. You never know. Uh, you know, there is the potential... And this has happened with the warehouse plans we found under Glenalbin. They turned out to be Glenvor. Potentially, the earlier Glenalbin book could be Glenvor. You never know. It's a faint glimmer of hope, but we shall try. Uh, and the only way to do that is to visit the archive and to sit down and go through the book. And um, I'm sure they'll be obliging and let me take photographs again and then we can um, bring those pages to life in due course and take out of them what we can. But if there's two books, given the fact it's taken us over two years to document the, the one book we have, you know, you could be looking at a couple more years of work ongoing which is which is a great thought but also it's a little bit daunting. Anyway, back to the logbook as we know it. Um, so with the two entries we have the 12th of April 1967 and the 28th of November 1967. I will link to both of these below and you can have a look at them. I'd also recommend uh, we do have a specific uh, page on the website purely devoted to 
the resource that is this logbook. So you can actually get, you can go in and you can actually look at what each page would be. And if you want to read a bit more about it and the article itself, you can click on the link. You can even look at our timeline and some of those dates will correlate into the timeline and you can get more information that way. Um, so trying to make things a little bit more interactive online if we can. So this one from the 12th of April 1967 uh, goes on about double duty allowance at Glenvor Distillery. Um, basically um, extra man hours to ensure some form of legal compliance. Um, the interesting thing about this entry was we know we do not know of any work that is ongoing at the distillery at this time. Uh, this might be corrected say if we found those planning documents that there's a gap of. You know we could get a little bit more insight. But we do know what happened looking at the way they've calculated the wages that were due. We know exactly the number of hours that were required and uh, the dates thereof. We also know the people that were employed. Um, so we know as a, a Mr. A. Miko, uh, a Mr. D. J. R. Hughes, a Mr. H. V. Hughes and a Mr. M. C. Chesters. These were the three, four individuals that were required and they were required for, uh, Mr. Mika was required for about four days in April. Uh, Hughes was required again for another four days in September. Uh, there was a V Hughes who was uh, just uh, two days uh, in November. And um, these are all in 1966, by the way. Um, and there was also a, a Chester's in 1967, uh, around about the time of the, no, January, February, and he was required for about two weeks, 11 and a half days, actually, it says. So we can see, you know, there's some of this could be due to shortages of man hours. We've seen the, the exciseman becoming more fragmented, less devoted to their sites. Um, so that could be a case and there could be additional work there. So we just don't know. Um, showed it to Alan Winchester as always and he reflected on, you know, these revenue assistants as he called them. Uh, and he said um, they were uniformed, reminding you of a petty officer in the Royal Navy, but were known as watchers. After the review of the customs and excise in the 1980s, when the way of working was reviewed and over time saw the removal of officers and revenue assistants, these would sit in the customs and excise office in each of the duty free warehouses when the trader, i.e. distillery workers, were working in that warehouse. Uh, as the duty free warehouses were double locked, customs and excise and traders locks, um, so they'd be needed for that access. They would also tally the casks going out when the crown lock vehicles were introduced. Prior to that, every cask was dispatched and dipped and strength checked before dispatch and receipt and the transport mode was rail or road was called open transport so there you go brilliant bit of detail just giving us a little bit more of the intricacies and ins and outs of what these people did and certainly you know if you do visit some of the older sites you can see almost these sort of internal wooden sheds perhaps where the excise person would have sat and recorded the log uh, about casks um so yeah, not too much more to say about that one, which then takes us on to the next article, which is from the 28th of November, 1967. So this is probably a, a good way to end the book. It gives us insight into the future and there's a statement there as well. 
Um, and in the article, I, you know, I thank everybody that's been involved in bringing these pages to life. You know, it's great to reach the end, but there's a, a touch of sadness as well. Um, so again, this is about a charge for attendance. Um, so we are looking at additional man hours over the period of several weeks in November. We know actually that this was across both distilleries. So this gives us a little bit of detail to Glenvor and Glenalbin. And these were internal repairs to strengthen the warehouse floors and also introduce the fire alarm system. So we know exactly the purpose of these additional hours, how long they took. Um, it's probably likely looking at the dates uh, on average, uh, certainly the, the we can probably split them into chunks. So we've got f um, four days um, over a period of two weeks. So I would have thought, say for instance, uh, if they had contractors on site to do these. And we we have seen this happen at Glenvor and Glenalbin. Contractors maybe come up from, you know, they travel uh, a sizable distance. So it makes sense to have them do the work at both sites and upgrade both while they're in the neighbourhood. So say that first batch in November of four days uh, could have been done at Glenvor. Then the same contractors the weekend came, so rather than them going home, they probably stayed locally. And then the following week, another four days at Glenalbin. Then their work was done, they would go home. Uh, the second batch of dates seemed to be less. Um, we've got a couple days in towards the end of November, and then just um, almost like a half day, six hours uh, on the 23rd of November, 1967. So it's up to yourselves, do you think, strengthening of the floors would take longer than extending the fire alarm system. I think potentially my money is on the strengthening of the floors taking longer. So I think that's probably the first batch of dates. The second batch is the fire alarms. If we could find out who made the fire alarm, you could maybe cross correlate their attendance on the site, etc, etc. But, you know, maybe we don't need to run down that and tell you the type of fire alarm system they had. You never know. Um, stranger things have happened. But then they calculate how much is done. And then we have the final statement, which I'll just read out to you. And this comes from uh, G.A. Dawson, who in effect is closing the book once and for all on both distilleries uh, and the legacy of this document. Um, so... I don't know, you know, would he have felt this was quite a momentous occasion? Um, what was happening to Mr. Dawson? Was he being retained? Was he being deployed elsewhere? Um, we'll probably never know um, unless maybe a relative comes forward. And, you know, stranger things have certainly happened. Uh, I will never rule out anything doing this project. However, um, he says... <clears throat> Glenvor and Glenopen distilleries together with Melbourne Distillery from the newly proposed, or say, I think that might be form, actually, the newly proposed Inverness Distillery Station with a staff of two officers and two extra men. The trader was given attendance from 8am to 9am each day by the extra man uh, from the normal station staff, but it was necessary to employ Mr. Crichton to cover additional hours from 9am to 5pm as the extra men regularly employed are required to move in accordance with a carefully planned scheme to cover normal trader requirements at the free distilleries. So they almost have a set rota, a set um, daily plan, and they have to follow it. And that is it. That is the 
end of it you know so we know that the i think the um inverness station was uh at a high street in inverness i think we mentioned it on a prior entry uh, and today i think that is uh, not petitions um so we can see exactly what happened and uh yes the book is closed on that resource so it's hard to pick out highlights from the book. You know, I was thinking about it earlier today. You know, we have the fire I mentioned at Glenalbin. We have the only bit of wartime damage was caused by the army at Glenalbin themselves. Um, we've got the accidents at Glenvore, having to rush out, get the manager. We've got the break-in. We've got the faints being taken from Glenalbin um, to be used at Glenvore, which lasted a couple of weeks longer before it closed down for the war. We then have those entries about conditions during the war, uh, the practicalities of working. There's so much it's given us, you know. It's been it's been a privilege to to bring it to you all and um, to the wider masses who hopefully can you know continue to enjoy it. Uh, yeah. A job well done, I think, is what we can say. And I'm excited, you know. What will those Glenolbin books hold? There could be some correlations with Glenvore. I'm sure there will be some mentions, particularly the 1920s when, the, you know, they come under joint ownership. Uh, we know from the Glenvore book they weren't hesitant in discussing uh, ownership or concerns. You know, the, the passing of John Burney is mentioned in the Glenvore book. Um, you know, so it's all there and hopefully come August and beyond we'll be able to put to bed is there a Glenvore book wrongly labelled? I hope so, but you know, either way we're going to get something memorable and then can start the work. I'm sure Alan uh, will be up for it and I'm sure Rose will be there to help me as well as we probably start at the beginning and uh go from there but you know hopefully we can find that that missing Glenvore book it'd be wonderful even from you know outside of the historical Glenvore aspect and whiskey and scotch it'd be wonderful because you know it would give us more of Neil M Gunn's um, residence at the distillery you know uh, and Alan did correct me you know there have been a couple of famous excisemen but I would certainly think uh, Mr Gunn is certainly up there uh, as being you know one of the most famous for for good reason you know and a big advocate of Glenvore in its uh, purest form and uh, I forget the exact quote there is there we I do tend to put the quotes on we actually have a quote page uh, on the website and um, you know there's some really memorable moments taken um, from a variety of authors, those who may be linked to the distillery, you know, it's all on that page. And I'm just flicking through it to see if I can actually find uh, one um, from Neil M. Gunn. There is definitely a, a longer one um, regarding the political sort of aspects at the distillery and. Uh, um, everybody, all the staff being frightened of Mr. Burney apart from uh, Mr. Gunn, you know, so uh, there's, a, there's a lot uh, in there, so, you know, um, it's, it's good to good to read, and there's a, there's a nice little entry as well um, from the book um, about Neil, uh, from F.R. Hart and J.B. Pick in 1981, and it said, basically, I went to see Neil on his 80th birthday, and this is towards the end of Neil's life, 
and I don't think he was keeping well. Neil poured us a dram. Willie Burney's, of course, so Glenvore. Uh, not to any surprise from their friends uh, of uh, Neil's. Nobody pours a whiskey as Neil does. The act of pouring and offering of the glass are themselves ritual celebrations. It is almost unnecessary to drink the whiskey, although we always do. So uh, I think that's a fitting end to this episode. And perhaps maybe I uh, should maybe pour a little Glenvor and sit back and reflect on a job well done on that book from everybody involved. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will be back next week for probably the last, as I said, dual header in this series. And then we can um, get down to single articles and discussing documents. So, uh, you know, one document ends and we have a whole pile of other ones to take us in a new direction. So once again, thank you for listening and uh, who knows what the future will hold. Okay.